Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of the Canton and Simeu show, our weekly show in which I'm joined, as the name suggests, by Harry Simeu uh, to talk about all the latest Arsenal news and in this case and in this month, of course, the dealings of transfers. We do this every other week on my channel and then the other weeks there on Harry's channel. So if you aren't already subscribed to the Chronicles of Aguna, link to the channel is in the description. You'll be able to find next week's show and last week's show on there. Harry, thank you ever so much as always, mate for joining me how you doing absolute pleasure man yeah all good all good um trying not to get sucked into the transfer window frenzy <laughs> trying not to overreact trying to stay calm <laughs> how about you yeah i'm not doing any of that uh <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing any of that at all i'm getting completely sucked i think i've said the words surely like surely we must be doing something about 50 and it's embarrassing because no one's in the house and i've just been reading and scrolling through my twitter feed going surely we must be doing something um but uh it, we may not we will wait and see but that's kind of where i want to kick off the discussion today before i do though chat box thank you so much for tuning in as always already 100 of you tuning in so please do if you haven't already drop a like on the video and subscribe we're very close to hitting 30,000 subs so if you could hit that subscribe button rather i'll tell you the right one to press uh we would really appreciate that uh so harry surely surely we are going to do something <laughs> you'd like to think so um i haven't given up hope yet of arsenal doing something mm. i don't know how significant that something is going to be though I, i'm starting to grow um or I'm starting to feel that it's becoming increasingly unlikely we're going to do anything of huge note. But I do think that context is key here. And I do think that going into this window, had we not had the situation we have had with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, I don't think the need for a striker would be there. And, and so I think you've got to give the club a little bit of leeway just in the sense of this is not something they would have been planning for for a while you know this this happened towards the back end of last year and mm -hmm. all of a sudden the windows around the corner you've also got a balance looking for new players and all of that stuff with the games that you have as well um so i got a little bit of sympathy i think the, the midfield situation is another area that a lot of people feel we need to recruit in and although i agree i think we're over the worst patch when it comes to the midfield you know if you were going to do yeah. it you had to do it at the start of the window to be worthwhile and now we're at the end of the window. And by the time we next play again in the Premier League, you'll have Granit Xhaka, Thomas Partey and Mohamed Elneny all back. So uh, there's a part of me that feels like I only want to see us do business between now and the end of the window if it's going to be the right business and business that we're not going to regret in 12 months' time. But the other part of me feels like if Arsenal don't do any business, there is a section of the fan base that will be waiting to throw that back at, at the project, if you like. And, and do they I have a right to? They do. Um, they do. They, they'll have a right to if our season completely blows up in our face, if, if, if it's because we fail to recruit, if it's because we fail to take the measures necessary. But what I've got an issue with is people overreacting before that happens. That's... Or maybe not an issue. It's not an issue. It's um, it's something I struggled to get my head around. Mm. I obviously it was unfortunate you couldn't join us last night on on Lee Judge's TV because I was I joined. I, I say it was a shame because you know at points I could really could do with your backup at some time. <laughs> but uh, no, I I think that Dan who 
we know sits on a different fence to us sometimes. Um, but I did align with quite a few of the things that Dan was saying last night, and Sophie raised some really good points too. I'm frustrated about this window. I agree with you in the sense that I agree with you in the sense that we we could have strengthened earlier and we're probably not going to see a strengthening in the midfield until maybe you know after probably the entire season at this point it's not looking likely we don't have to so I think what will happen now is that if anything it will be a striker and it will be you would think maybe Isaac's release clause is, is a possibility which we know they've done in the past with Thomas Partey and if we also think back to the signings that we made in the January of, of last year in 2021 using the loan market it could be a possibly a loan player for someone they're the kind of two routes that I see but the point was raised Harry that we're out of two cup competitions and both of those exits can be attributed to us not acting soon enough go on respond hit, hit me back with it go on I don't know that you can attribute the Carabao Cup exit to that um, I think the FA Cup, fine. You know, we went away to Nottingham Forest. We had a lot of players missing. We didn't have the strength in the middle of the park to control the game, in my opinion. And we got done with a with a late goal, um, which Nottingham Forest very much deserved. The issue I have with people saying that it's what cost us in the Carabao Cup is that we weren't guaranteed to beat Liverpool anyway. This wasn't... Arsenal versus a team that they should be beating, yet we were so under strength that we, you know, we couldn't do it and we were embarrassed. Mm. You know, we lost narrowly over the two legs, really, to a side that are on a completely different level to us, to a side that are a com- at a complete different stage of their, you know, project, if you like. And there's no guarantee that we, you know, we would have beat them if everybody was was fit and available. And then you go into the final and you play a Chelsea side, if you get there, who, again, there is no guarantee that we beat. And by rights, we shouldn't beat. So the Carabao Cup winning that was always going to be difficult. You could have had everyone available and it still would have been tough. So I think what I'm struggling with, with the Carabao Cup bit in particular, is we went to the semi-final of the competition. and We didn't get done by a side that we're better than. We didn't get done by a side who we're expected to beat. It's a pretty decent run to go to the semi-final. So I understand the outrage around the FA Cup. I really do. Third round, embarrassing. But Carabao Cup, I I don't know that I read into that one too much. Do you think that an error was made rushing Tomiyasu back into the team when the following game we started two players that were both available uh, in Ben White and and Rob Holding? I know that Tomiyasu's better, but he could be out for a month we could be missing him for walls we could be missing him for the game after that it gave me kind of bad memories of Thomas Partey being rushed back against Tottenham um and I think that for all Arteta's positives these kind of inexperienced moments and maybe these rushed choices do hamper us at times and I think this was an example of one yeah I agree with that I think you know all of us would have liked to have seen Tommy Asu play if it was possible and and it was possible for him to start the game clearly because mm. he did. Um, but obviously, of course, you know it, it's really easy to look back and say, well, it was a mistake. Now, I, I think when you look at it fairly, it probably was a mistake, it, particularly if we're going to be without him now moving forward. But um, 
yeah, that's that's something that Mikel Arteta is going to have to learn. That's something that Mikel Arteta is going to have to improve on as a manager. And I guess as a manager, just like in any other uh, walk of life, you'll probably go through experiences like the one he's going through now off the back of that Tommy Asu decision. And that will almost shape how you look at these things moving forward. I mean, I know we're saying it's a mistake, but do you feel like hiring somebody like Mikel Arteta mm. carries these risks? doesn't it? So should we be so surprised when we then see these things happen is kind of the the issue that I'm struggling with. Like, I, I don't really know how we should be reacting to this stuff. The thing is, though, Harry, like with that, that's kind of where I was a year ago. Um, and kind of, I kind of made the, the, the argument about he's inexperienced, he's going to make these errors. But in a season where we have a real chance of getting top four, it is those inexperienced decisions that could cost us from getting that. And then I think the argument, you know, to say if we had maybe a more experienced coach in charge, we could have those mistakes wouldn't have happened. And, you know, we might be on a, on our way to top four. That's I'm just trying to play devil's advocate, of course. And I do I do genuinely believe in some of those those points as well. And I think it's important to raise them. It's just this January really has kind of taken a hammer blow to my kind of position on 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 the coach and, and Edu as well. And Edu is someone that I've really kind of backed and, and really kind of supported as well. And I do feel at this stage, even with days left and things can change and things could turn around. But I think there's been naivety that has contributed to the, to both of them. I, I get the idea that Liverpool is, is a team that we have by right no no right to kind of, you know, expect to beat them. But when you when you come away from Anfield with a with a nil-nil kind of draw um, going into the next game, I would have been smarter still with the decision making. I would have probably switched to a back three and continued that back three that managed to get that clean sheet um, at Anfield and, and use some of the players that maybe would have been better in the wing back positions, like maybe move Tierney to the left centre back and, and Nuno Tavares to the left wing back to give us a little bit more on the break. But obviously, all this is with the benefit of hindsight. But the, the Ainsley Maitland Niles decision and the Tommy Asu decision. And the fact that, you know, we are now three days out from the end of the window and we haven't brought anyone in, it, all of those factors, you know, I think lead to a build an argument quite credibly against the coach at this point. Yeah, I think you, you, you can build an argument against the coach, but I'm not really sure that the lack of transfer activity up until this point is something you can pin on the coach. I think, you know, it's clear to me that, there is obviously some kind of instruction from above that we need to move players out. Mm. That For the next phase of the rebuild, if you like, to occur, Arsenal need to move players on. And, and for years, Tom, we've sat here and we've gone, we've got all this dead wood, we can't get rid of them. The reason we can't get rid of them is because nobody wants them. The opportunities are not there to get rid of them and we're stuck with them and it's delaying us moving forward. So surely that means when those opportunities come along, you have to take them. And when those opportunities come along to take weight off the wage bill, which then hopefully facilitates new arrivals, mm. I think as a football club, you have to take them. What I have an issue with, with Arsenal right now, is not Mikel Arteta. It's the way the club is being operated. Yeah. You know, although we spent some money last season, uh, last summer, sorry, I, I don't think we saw anything that suggested we were ever going to move away from this self-sustaining model where it's out to get in and, and all of that. We all knew that was coming. So I don't really understand the surprise at the fact that we've moved a load of players on who we were going to move on anyway. You know, Kolasinac was going to go at the end of the season. Nobody wants to see him anywhere near the starting lineup. 
Very few would put Pablo Marie in the top three centre-halves available to us. Very few would have put Ainsley Maitland-Niles in the midfield when everyone was fit and available. And of course, Callum Chambers, at least in Mikel Arteta's eyes, maybe not yours or mine, was the third choice right back a lot of the time. So these are players he's moved on that I think we kind of have to. And if that's what it takes to then move to that next stage where we have to strip it right back, then maybe that has to happen. Um, The timing of it isn't great. And obviously there are concerns about how thin the squad is going to be left moving into a really key part of the season. But this is something that is, is a big risk. It's the kind of risk that I don't think a lot of managers would take. And, and we're going to see in mm. time if it was the right choice or not. You know, Mikel, for me, in allowing these players to go, has shown balls of steel that he's willing to take the risk of of cutting back so that we can hopefully move forward. But although I think he's he's shown balls of steel in doing that, I don't think it's his preferred way of progressing. I don't think he would have said to KSE, no, 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 I want to get these guys out now without bringing anyone in. Mm. Uh, and that's what makes me think that this is not the manager's desire. This is something that is coming from above that suggests that we will not be able to go out and bring in big players. We will not be able to load up that wage bill further and therefore have to move people out first. I I genuinely think that's what's going on. What if we don't? (laughs) What if we don't bring anyone in between now and the end? Well, whether you bring someone in now or in the summer, ultimately you've done the groundwork to to move players on, right? I, I know there's a few situations we're talking about where we're talking about them running out of contract come the end of the season, mm. but it's just out of the way. It's just something you don't have to deal with uh, come the summer. But there are, you know, people like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who I think it's pretty safe to say probably is going to leave the club on a permanent basis. And, mm. you know, sending him to Roma gives us the greatest chance of maybe attaining a fee from them. And then Pablo Marie is another one who, you know, is still under contract come the end of the season. And we probably want to move on as well. If we don't bring anyone in, I will be disappointed. But I also don't want them to go and bring in players for the sake of it. And I don't want them to go out and spend substantial amounts of money on players that in 12, 18 months time, we're going to be looking at and going, nah, you you know, you're not fit for purpose. I mean, how do you feel about the idea of stopgaps? It, it could, because if you go for stop gaps, they've yeah. got to be stop gaps, i.e. six-month loan deals. Mm. We're finding that very difficult to do, as we saw with the Artur situation. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not for them, to be honest, um, in general. I'm I'm for them in certain circumstances. Like Artur, I agree with you, would have been a stop gap. But if we'd have brought in Artur at the same time that we let Ainsley Maitland-Niles leave for six months, you know, we may not have gone out in the FA Cup we may have had a better chance against Liverpool. We may have beaten Burnley. We will never know the answers to those hypotheticals, but the, a six-month loan deal for a midfielder during this month could have really helped. And those those three points, those two points that we dropped against Burnley could be the difference between making top four and not. That That's my concern that I have with that and not getting them in earlier. What I would say is that we've moved away from stop gaps. But what I would also argue is I think players are, have moved and are moving in this market that Arsenal could have got and I wouldn't classify as stop gaps, which is probably where the conversation needs to move to next because we're watching Bruno Guimaraes move to, to Newcastle. Yes, for a very sizable fee at €40 million. Euros. Yes, for probably a sizable wage packet. 
but there is no doubt in my mind that he is an upgrade on Granite Xhaka and that he would have contributed to a much better output from the midfield. In terms of striker, we don't bring anyone in. I look at a player like Arta Cabral, who joined Fiorentina as Dusan Vlaovic's replacement, who scored 27 goals in 31 games. Yes, in the Swiss League, of sure. But he's also scored them in Europe. He's also being called up to the Brazilian national side. Clearly shows how much he's being kind of rated. And he's moving for 15 to 16 million euros. Like that to Arsenal, if they were to qualify for the Champions League, is nothing. Um, we see Thiago Tomas has moved to Stuttgart, ironically, with uh, Sven Mislintat as their head of recruitment. He's someone that's scoring goals for, for Sporting, not regularly, but he's someone that would provide different characteristics. And I'm not saying that these are the answers to our striking question. What I'm saying, Harry, is that if it's a choice between Eddie and Ketia and Lacazette, or Lacazette and one of those two as a different entity for Arsenal in the next six months over nobody when they were accessible... I think that's worthy of criticism if we don't go and get them. So let, let me put it to you this way then, because yeah, I, I, I agree with you. A lot of those players that you mentioned are, are players that I, if I were running things, would be interested in. Mm. But do we have to be careful not to get sucked into a lot of these stories? Because for me, yeah. if Bruno Guimarães, like Arsenal clearly have the money to go and spend as in transfer fees, right? We we clearly went to Fiorentina. We put a load of money on the table for Dusan Vlavic. It never came about. But Arsenal are only willing, it seems, to put that money on the table for players that they really do believe in yeah. and players that they really do feel would be a good fit. So what I would say is with Bruno Guimaraes, whilst I think he, he looks a good player and you know more about him than I do, the fact that he's going to Newcastle suggests to me that Arsenal weren't as interested as we thought. Because if they were, they could pay £40 million and I'm sure he would pick competing for a Champions League place over mm. a relegation battle. So this is where I think as fans, we've got to be really careful because these stories break and we hear of interest in certain players and we kind of put all our heart and soul into players that for all we know, Mikel Arteta and Edu have no real interest in signing. And, and I think we have to be really careful there because that ha seems to happen a lot. And then as the years go by, and it happened so much with Arsene Wenger at the back end of his career when he was giving interviews and he was saying, well, we looked at this player, we looked at... And everyone goes... For the classic is we could have got N'Golo Kante and we got Granite Xhaka. And, mm. But you, you don't actually know how far that interest went and how it progressed and if there was ever anything really in it. So I just think we have to be mindful and careful of that because players who we might think are on the club's radar might not be at mm. the top of the priority list. And and I think based on what they did in the summer, based on the players they brought in in the summer and how well those deals have worked out up until now, I think they've almost earned the right to not be, I'm not going to say questioned when it comes to you know, <laughs> not bringing anyone. They, can they of worms, all, yeah. opening the can of worms. <laughs> no, no, they can be questioned. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think we should see how this pans out first. I think they've earned that bit of extra trust. I did think that. I, I thought that at the start of the window. I thought that when they loaned out Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I thought that when we didn't bring anyone in before the, the FA Cup and the League Cup, I was like, look, they've earned this. They're going to pull something out. But I'm worried, Harry. I'm really worried. And I think also seeing the players move elsewhere, like as I've mentioned, Gimaraes and Cabral. Yes, you're right. We don't know how much the links were genuine. We don't know if Arsenal were ever... Um, interested in them as much as you know, maybe elements of the media lead us to believe. 
but I, for me, that's not the argument. And this, I've had the same discussion with with our mutual friend Drew Thompson. Who, if you aren't following on Twitter, people, please make sure you do at Logic Lara. And he sits in the same camp as you with this. And we, I had this exact same conversation. And my issue is that yes, we might not be interested in those players. But my kind of question is, should we have been? Like, should we have been interested in them? Should we have signed those players because they could have given us that boost to the last six months of the season? Because we're uh, we're in a situation where um, we can get, you know, we can get top four. We can, it is achievable this season. And for my money, I just think that if we don't bring the, the, the types of players in that could add something, either add quality or just add something different in terms of a characteristic, maybe the same level as Lacazette for six months, but someone who's a different style, like, you know, can add aerial threat or, you know, is absolutely rapid and can run in behind, someone like that kind of level. Or in midfield, someone who's a better progressor of the ball or someone who's more reliable with the ball or a really good recovery tackler, kind of those things that we, we lack a little bit in midfield. Maybe if we did those things, it would propel us towards our best chance since probably 18-19 of achieving a top four place. And if we don't do that, yes, we've we've set ourselves up for 2022 summer to then go and improve the squad. But we've missed a really good opportunity. We might miss a really good opportunity now. It is an opportunity, um, but it's an opportunity that's presented itself because of, I believe, more so the fact that some of the teams around us haven't been good enough as opposed to our improvement being as significant as some would have you believe. I genuinely think that. I think, obviously, yeah, Spurs yeah. had a difficult period at the start of the season. It led to their manager being sacked. Manchester United, difficult period, manager being sacked. And the disruption at those two clubs has... The disruption at Manchester United has opened the door for a number of other clubs to potentially get in there. Because I think at the start of the season, everybody thought that it would be City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United in the top four, and the order was uh, up for debate. But... I guess what I'm kind of saying here is that do the club internally believe that they're ready for the top four? Do the, and, and look, this is, look, people will say it's a lack of ambition and, and to a degree I agree with that. But what I'm saying is I don't expect there to be any panic or deviation away from the current strategy mm. if Arsenal miss out on the top four and only finish in the top six this season. What because if we don't I, finish in the top six? then that's a different matter. And and mm. as I've said many, many times, if we don't finish in the top six, you've got to question what we're doing. And you've got to start asking the questions about whether this is actually going to work. But I think if we do finish in the top six, it might not satisfy the supporters, but I think it would satisfy those within the club that they're moving in the right direction. And this, th there's a danger of being sucked into this idea of finishing in the top four when actually maybe those who are on the training ground every day and close to the team in their heart of hearts don't believe it's it's realistic don't believe it's possible mm. or, or think that it's one step too far and if we get sucked in as fans um uh, you know that's one thing but if the club gets sucked in and throw mega money at a, a mid-season transfer window in an attempt to get over the line and that fails then you've kind of undone what you've set out to do in the first place because you've gone and you've then spent on the premise of this might get us in the top four mm. because of where we are today, as opposed to that being part of the long-term plan. And I just wonder if they're reluctant to deviate away from that because they don't believe that the top four is as likely for us as we as a fan base do. Do I, you believe that? 
like because from not the perspective that you're putting across and i understand where you're coming from absolutely it's coming from the perspective of trying to put your head in in the ideas and the shoes of the manager and of the club and where their objectives are but i'm and that's where i've been but I, to try and get a better sense of kind of the wider argument i'm trying to take myself sometimes out of the shoes of the management out of the shoes of the club and where they're looking and looking more so at kind of what we're actually capable of like, and, and watch, looking at this squad and going, actually, no, I disagree with the idea that the club thinks that top six is, you know, minimum for this team and sitting here and going, I think that we've got a squad if we strengthened with a midfielder and with a striker that could achieve top four this season. And that's kind of where my, my view has slightly shifted over the course of this January window is because without European football, without those distractions, without two cups as well, and with only 17 games left to focus on all of them being cup finals to try and get to that top four, that we can add players to this team that I don't think would be stop gaps. I don't think that we panic buys. I think that would still mesh with the, the style and the type of profiles that we're looking at be that activating Isaac's release clause be that bringing in a Gimaraes be that you know going and getting a an Arta Cabral which I don't think is I don't look at that as panic either because if you if you think about the fact that Aubameyang's probably going to be going Lacazette and Nketiah's contracts are going to be gone we're going to probably need to bring at least two central options between now and the end of the summer window anyway so I don't look at necessarily a 15 million pound striker that offers difference to what we have now as a panic buy I look at that as someone who could you know really add something to this team so that that's kind of where I've tried to broaden my kind of view of the situation by then looking at it from the perspective of going actually no like I, I don't want to look from the perspective of the manager or from the ownership if that top six is what they're looking at as a minimum and actually I want to look at this situation from the perspective of top four is achievable and with a couple of major additional just maybe even just two additions like that would add to the depth but still stick with the strategy if they were young and, and you know quality and a potential like Sambi Lukonga or Tavares levels of kind of players or even Erdogan levels of players that we could push then forwards towards that top four this season and that not be rushing it that just taking advantage of a situation that has presented itself yeah I think so but I think it's it's important not to be I think at the start of the season you set as a football team your objectives based on what you believe you can do because you don't account for Manchester United being poor you don't account for Tottenham being poor. You don't account for other teams having dips in form. You you base your objectives on where you think you are at. And then as the season develops, you, you start to gain insight and knowledge of what's going on elsewhere. And that can sway your view and your opinion. It's a bit like this is a shit analogy, but it's a bit <laughs> like if I'm playing FIFA, the amount of times I've been, oh, no. I've been <laughs> the amount of times I've been losing a game against a mate one nil. And I'll switch my, my formation to a 4-2-4 because I really desperately need the goal. And then I go and concede a, a second goal because yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got nobody in midfield. It, it's almost like that. It's almost like getting sucked in to something that could potentially hamper you in the future. And I get your point about, you know, 15 million pound striker, 20 million pound striker. But if you have your sight set on an Alexander Isak for the summer, mm. And then 15, 20 million pounds is the difference between you being able to do that or not in the summer. Then do get you the top four and it won't matter because we'll have. Yeah, but if you don't, that, this is the point that even if you make those acquisitions, I still don't think we're at a level where you can guarantee that we will be in the top four. But no, you I could... don't think you can guarantee it, but I think you can give yourself a better chance. And what I would say, just in, sorry to interrupt you, but just. Just on that point, we didn't get Vlaovic this month because, you know, of a number of factors. Like, we may have been able to pay for him, 
but he's looked at Juventus as a place that he would rather go to. Like Arsenal have got to position themselves in the near future to be a place where players again want to desperately come to. And getting into the Champions League will offer us that. So it's all well and good us kind of saying now that we don't want to rush and we need to save a little bit of money here so we can go for the main marquee target. That marquee target in the summer might only come to us if we get Champions League football. Do you know what I mean? But this is where a dose of realism is needed, not not with yourself, but with the fan base in general. Because mm. what we're trying to do now is we're trying to attract players on the premise of what we might become and what we could become, but not what we are today. Yeah, And that's why when Vlavic decided he didn't want to come to Arsenal, I wasn't surprised. I didn't like it, no, obviously. Yeah. I wasn't surprised in the slightest. Because you are asking a guy to commit himself to a project that might not work. And and this is where Arsenal are at right now. And it's why I keep saying that the expectation levels need to be adjusted. And it's not an acceptance of mediocrity, like some people like to put it. It's not lowering your standards. It's understanding where you actually are. If you don't actually understand where you are and what the issues are, how can you ever fix them and move forward? If you're gonna if you're an Arsenal fan that thinks we should be competing for the Premier League title year in, year out, because we did it in mm. the early 2000s. You will be disappointed every single mm. season because it's not where we are today. And, and and I think we have to acknowledge and accept that a lot of the challenges that the club are going to face when going into the transfer market is not the getting a club to accept a fee. Fiorentina, you know, were desperate to get money in for Vlavic because of his contract situation. That's never going to be the problem. The problem is persuading the player that mm. when there are a host of other options knocking on the door, that we are the right one. And I think that we can go some way in doing that by getting back in the Europa League. I agree that we go further in doing that if we get in the Champions League. But I don't think the difference for Arsenal this season between Europa League and Champions League is such a big difference that we should deviate from the strategy because we think there's a little gap that we can capitalise on. Of course, we've got to play for it. Of course, we've yeah. got to try and get there. Of course, that's got to be... As long as the top four is alive, we have to be aiming for that. But that doesn't mean if we just miss out on it that we've had a disaster class of a season. I don't I don't think what I'm suggesting, though, is, is deviating from what I believe the strategy to... I'm not going to sit here and say I don't think it's not the strategy because I don't know what it is. I'm not in the dressing room. I'm not, I'm not in the boardroom. I'm not, I'm not there. But but based on what I've seen and what we did in the summer, I just don't feel like what I'm suggesting is deviating from that strategy. I'm still looking at players of quality. I'm still looking at players that are gettable. I'm still looking at players that are within the age profile of what we're looking at. And I just feel like that there is... And I, I do disagree with you in this, the difference between the Europa League and the Champions League. If Arsenal were in the Champions League right now, I do feel like there would have been a much better ability to sell Arsenal to have allowed, not necessarily him, but maybe just a level of player that if we're up against those same type of teams in the summer and we don't have it, we may struggle to get the player that, you know, Mikel Arteta already wants us to sign. It's, I don't, I don't feel like this is one where we're going to, you know, reach kind of a mutual ground on this, but I just hope that in the next kind of few days, we see Arsenal are going to bring a player in and bring someone in to give us a better chance. I'm not saying that top four is impossible with what we've got, but I do think it's very, very difficult. Um, and I also, I'm also concerned about with the managerial situation that you look at, say, I, I believe we have the fifth best squad in the league right now. 
And I'm concerned that, say, a Tottenham, who I believe have a worse squad than us, but have a very, very good manager, and if he gets that Spurs team into the top four, you know, it then there is then a very, very strong argument to say that, you know, a manager of that calibre could have got this Arsenal team. And then you have to sit there and you have to go, and it's very hard to argue back against that then, if, if he manages to do that, because but, you would say that he, if he was at Arsenal, would he have got them us into the top four? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's a great point. But again, it's one of those things that we have to wait and see how it pans out, mm. right? Also, We can only speculate right now. That's all yeah, we can do. exactly. But also, I think that at Arsenal, we're doing a much better job of laying the foundations for the future. You know, Tottenham yeah. have just signed Hugo Lloris up to a new contract. How, how long is Hugo Lloris going to still be at the top of his game? You yeah. look at their central defensive options, most of them are woeful. You look at their fullbacks, questionable. You know, the only reason, mm. you know, Antonio Conte is having to patch things up by playing a different system to accommodate for the shortcomings of the likes of Eric Dyer and Davinson Sanchez. You move into the midfield. Is there anyone in that Spurs midfield? You know, they bang on about Oliver Skip. Is he someone that you look at and think he's maybe a big player <laughs> yeah, for yeah. the future? You know, and then you've got Harry Kane, who obviously doesn't want to really be there. And outside of human son, I don't, that's the point. Like, it's not just about now. You know, mm. I look at Arsenal and the reason I'm so optimistic and positive about where we're going is that I look at a core of a team that I could see being the core of our team for at least five or six years. So players who have the ability to go on to a really, really high level. And I think the the issue that we're kind of what we've done in the past is we've spent money frivolously and we've spent it on players that were not fit for purpose and we've ended up being stuck with them. And now we're in a place where we've gone into the window. We've looked at Dusan Vlavic. We've tried to do it. We've got the money for that. But then you look at the Artur example, where clearly the Arsenal hierarchy didn't feel it was worth taking him on an 18-month deal because of mm. the financial commitment that that means. Yeah. And and all you're seeing now is, is the club being a little bit, you know, being reluctant to spend it on players they're not sure about. But in the case where they believe that someone is the right fit, here you go. Here's the money, just like they put on the table with Vlavic. So... I don't think that's a bad approach. I think it does leave us thin now. And I think there are risks to this approach, especially between now and the end of the season. But if we were to somehow sneak into the top four with this group that we've got now, without any major additions, mm. we're then in a position in the summer where we are in the Champions League. We have a greater appeal and a greater hook. Yet we also have the money that we didn't blow in January or didn't spend in January mm. on players who might be good and might be good squad players, but aren't going to take us up to that next level. And I think that's what they've so far have decided. I think if an opportunity comes, they'll take it. But for now, I think that's the way they're looking at it. And it's frustrating, but I'm not sure I can say it's wrong. This is a conversation that will be left open-ended and, and one that we will have to revisit at the end of the season, Harry, because, you know, it's impossible. Because all we can do right now is, is to speculate. I, I agree with a lot of what, of what you said. And I think that from both perspectives, there are a lot of really solid points that I think a lot of people, and I've seen people in the chat box agreeing on both sides. So we'll see where we end up. We'll see what we do in the end of the, this window, of course, too, and, and where that leaves us. We've got about five minutes left. I didn't want to ignore the chat box um, completely. Uh, I know that sometimes these shows, as, as you can imagine, get very debatey and we want to get through that. But uh, I do want to give some opportunities for a, a couple of questions before we wrap up. Uh, Martin says, uh, Tom and Harry, do you think we need to deviate from Arteta's player profile and look at older, experienced players to help guard the young ones? Because, I mean, we are losing a lot of experienced heads in the team. 
you can only, I suppose, have so many young players without that guidance before you get into certain situations where an experienced head would be really valuable. Yeah, and I think Edu made a point of saying that, didn't he, just after the summer, just after the season started and we, we had that really bad start and we we looked at it and he came out and he said look the first stage is to build the foundation is to bring in the players that we see as, as the longer term and then the next stage i'm, I'm paraphrasing obviously mm. is to then add that experience and additional quality that takes you to the next level and I, and i think that's the level we're at but i think you can get players who have a lot more experience than maybe their age suggests um, Martin Odegaard is a prime example of that. You yeah, know, he yeah. played a lot of football in Spain, in the Netherlands, um, in his home country, and and is now in the Premier League. And he's he's still a, a young lad, but he's got that experience. You know, Ben White um, had a season in the Premier League, a really good learning curve of a season in the Championship before that. And I think it is possible to find that middle ground between experience and players who are still going to be of value in three, four seasons' time. But again, this is all about finance, because if you've got the finance to be able to go and chuck it at somebody experienced without worrying about what that means for the next three, four years, then I'm sure you'd do it. But obviously, we, we're we not willing to spend that. And again, it comes back to the point I made earlier on. Instead of of putting that on Mikel Arteta, yeah. put it on the people that are running the club, because he is working under the... You know the, the constraints. Mm. I'm sure, look. There's rumours he wants he's wanted for the Man City job, right? Do you think that when Mikel Arteta goes to Manchester City, he'll be skimping in the January transfer with it? No, exactly. No, he'll be back. Yeah, it, it, it's all about um, you know, it's all about the environment you're working in, unfortunately. And I think you know that's the that's the key point here. Yeah. No, it's a fair point. Um, Glenn Cook says, do you think bringing in Isaac at the end of the window is a risk worth taking for 90 million euros, which of course is his buyout clause? This is um, this goes back to the, the, the point I was making earlier, and mm. it, it depends on whether the club think he's, he's worth that risk and whether they think that it's worth making that investment now to try, like you say, and push for the Champions League. Um, you know, but the, the, the difference with Isak is that this is one that your decision will be made up based on what you see from him overall, what you think he'll bring overall, as opposed to just the next six months. I'm not sure I want to pay £90 million for Alexander Isak. I've got to be Euros. honest. At Euros, <laughs> yeah. Definitely don't want to pay £90 million. No. Um, I think he's a good player. I'm not sure he's worth that. And, and obviously, that's not his value. That's what Sociedad has set as a release clause. I would knock on the door. I would make an offer of below that of around about 60, 65 million euros and see what happens. But you've always got that option, just like we did with Thomas Partey, where if it's not working and it's not moving the needle and you really want him, you know what you've got to do. Yeah, I do feel like that is the one deal that I still have a little bit of hope for happening. And as you say, look, if we do it, it clearly means that they've, they assess him and they deem him good enough mm. for the the situation because he does have that release clause it's it's one that until the window shuts or until probably about halfway through deadline day when we'll be like yeah but it's not going to happen but uh yeah. do you think well, that do you think that this this potential or this idea of moving a Bamiyang on loan and, and getting some of his wages at least off the wage bill would open the door to something like this i do but i think that it's a really touch and go situation um because there's no guarantee as well that Isaac says yes, but like just because you pay a player's release clause doesn't mean they're forced to to join. 
So, and and there have been reports, whether you believe them or not, that you know that he would want to finish the season with Real Sociedad, or that he's not one hundred percent sold on Arsenal's project. Um, which brings us back to the previous conversation. But to stick with this one, I think that I, I feel like Abamyang leaving would be a huge indicator that they're confident that they can get someone in in these last few days. I mean, the fact that Juventus and Barcelona are reportedly, according to the Athletic, propositioning a loan deal, uh, I don't imagine that would be for his full wage packet. I imagine Arsenal would have to subsidise some of that. Um but yeah, it would be. I feel like it would be a bit crazy to, to think that Arsenal would leave themselves with just Lacazette and Nketiah. I mean, Nketiah is being linked with Newcastle right now as well. And we, we're seeing those links, which I also think would they'd be mad to, even though I don't particularly rate him in the Premier League level, to, to, to let him go and not bring anyone in would be mad with the Aubameyang situation not, res, not resolved. And I don't mm. think Martinelli is enough to be an option centrally for the rest of the season. And I like him on the wing. People have suggested, should we play Pepe centrally? I think Pepe would score goals centrally, but I don't think you could guarantee the, the, the square peg round hole working. I'm just not sure that you can guarantee it. Yeah. Uh, we'll take two more just before we wrap up. Uh, Shreyas says, hi, Tom and Harry. If we bring in some players this window in the last three days, who do you think they'll be? Putting you on the spot there. <laughs> Tough one. Because uh, I honestly don't know. You yeah. know, I honestly don't know. We've been linked with so many players throughout the course of this window and none of those things yet have come to fruition. So I'm a little bit reluctant um, to, 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 you know, to, to throw names because I, I, I genuinely don't know. Profile-wise, I think it's it's got to be a striker. Um, I think mm. that's got to be the number one priority, but I, I really couldn't tell you who. Um, but knowing Arsenal, they'll probably go and bring in a centre back to replace what we've lost at yep. centre back because Arteta likes buying centre backs. Trust doesn't the he? process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, names. As I say, I think Isaac's the most likely striker, like marquee striker that you'd look to bring in because um, of the release clause. Similar to that, I look at someone maybe like Tyler Adams for a central midfielder because he also has a release clause of thirty-two and a half million pound reportedly. So those two I look at. As, as possibilities saying that we've not been linked at all to Tyler Adams since about November so I'm not sure how likely that one would be um, but uh, players that are accessible players that would be making a step up from Sociedad RB Leipzig and I do still believe that to be a step up from RB Leipzig despite the fact they're in the Champions League Definitely. I still would I would still say that's a step up um, despite what Dominic Zobosly might tell you so <laughs> but uh, yeah I would be looking at players that can make that step up that can add something especially in midfield if they're versatile like Adams is to play in right back cover if we need him to so that that's what I'd be looking at and last one um, let's go to there's so many good questions and I don't want to I feel bad missing out on so many but we do need to wrap things up uh, Soul Checker who I've not seen in the chat box I may have missed you but thanks for joining us mate how do you see Arteta's rebuild so far only based on the outgoing players in the last few windows I th again I would rephrase the question slightly because I agree with you Harry I don't think Arteta's wildly responsible as much as say Edu is um, for the outgoing so how would you look at how we're selling players still right now well, there's this thing that going around that we're a really bad selling club. You're only a bad selling club if you made mistakes when you were buying. That you know, that's that's how it works, right? You you spend silly amounts of money on players 
And then when it comes to allowing them to leave or, or having to get them off the wage bill and you're forcing them out by sometimes paying off their contracts, sometimes allowing them to go on loan, sometimes allowing them to go for free, it means that you made a mistake in the first place. Otherwise, the interest in them would be there. Um, I don't think he's had much choice in the way we've moved players on. And I, and I don't think that he or even Edu, in a lot of senses, can be held accountable for that. Um, I think the big one that Edu got wrong in terms of financial commitment was uh, was Willian. Um, you know, it was crazy to give him that contract. It didn't work out, but fair play, whether it was Willian or, or whether it was, mm. you know, kind of Arsenal and Willian, a combination of the two, the agent's influence, I don't know, but they, they dealt with that well, considering how badly it had gone. I just think that the thing with moving people on and selling people, you can only sell what somebody wants. Something that nobody wants doesn't have any value. And, and I don't get why we struggle to see that at times. Yeah, no, I think you raise solid points. I think I would say to people, judge how we sell players that were in demand. Uh, like, look at how much we sold Joe Willock for, for, for an example. Mm. Um, Perfect Cham example. Chambers wasn't in, in demand. Torreira, we struggled to, to sell Torreira. I mean, we struggled to get him gone in 2020, let alone 2021. So we talk about him getting player of the month for Fiorentina this month, but we were struggling for interest in him. We were struggling for interest in, in a, lots of players, hence why we had to pay off contracts just to get them out of the club. So I do agree on, on this level. I think we need to, I still think we need to improve a bit more in, in certain areas of, of loaning and being a little bit more careful about who we loan players to. And, you know, in certain situations, maybe like get a million or two million or three million for a Callum Chambers that leaves or, you know, try and like sell our players better, like a Mustafi or something, or a Socrates, try and sell them a bit better so you can get something for them. Um, but yes, look, I think that judge on the, you know, the players that are going to be in demand, players that clubs want, and Willock being that, that prime example. So fingers crossed we see that. Chatbox, thank you so much for everyone that's tuned in today. Uh, I did want to finish off the show. Uh, there was a, was a great, here we go. Jabu says, like I said earlier, Tom, don't stress. We're getting De Jong, Tyler Adams and Isaac. So <laughs> look, I want to finish off the show with this optimism because I like it. Harry, thank you so much, mate, as always. Uh, you're not contractually obliged to this show. It was just kind of a verbal agreement at this stage. But thank you still for coming on the show. <laughs> no, you, you return the favour. So it's, it's all good, man. No, it's always good to chat football and Arsenal with you, man. Absolutely. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Yeah, you can find me on the Chronicles of Aguna. I'm going to be doing a live stream just after five o'clock. So if you fancy that, uh, head over to the channel. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Harry Simiu. Uh, you can find me on 90 Min and various other places, basically whoever will have me. So yeah, check it out. Lovely stuff. You can find most of us on, on Lee Judges TV coming up, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe more regularly in, in every week or so. We'll have to see what happens with that. Uh, Harry's channel is in the link in the description. So if you're struggling to find it, um, you shouldn't do. But if you somehow are, the link is in the description. Um, please make sure you drop a like on today's video. You can also listen to the audio format of this show on both of our audio channels. They'll be going up there uh, today, tomorrow morning, uh, probably. So make sure that you are subscribed on Spotify and iTunes, SoundCloud, and all that good stuff um, but other than that we'll be seeing you very very soon you'll be seeing you for the tomorrow morning 8am show and uh, continuing this torture uh, <laughs> as we always <laughs> like to do uh, and as Harry said you can check him out on his channel in just under 15 minutes time so uh, please make sure you do that drop a like subscribe we'll see you soon and as always up the Arsenal